Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 257 for September 14th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to discuss the Compacto Moto Scudo. Artificial wombs are coming. The fear of being obsolete. Evidence for my claim says the quiet part out loud. The Pixel tablet has a lot of empty space. NASA says UFOs are solar glints that are being tracked by fighter jets, sure. The new Apple Watch is pretty sweet. Let's find replacements for Adobe, ironically named Unity, and Van Gogh actually sounds like an Ikea shelf. Let's get through all of these articles. I'm gonna make a speed run, I think. Let's get going. Hello, hello again. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com and the AI is not here today. They've got other things going on. Um, already got all of the articles selected and set up. Let's get into it right away. The Compacto Moto Scudo. So this is actually a title um, in uh, hometown daily. The tiny Honda Moto Compacto uh, electric scooter can help you fix your carbon footprint. This is over in newsweek.com. In a section called Better Planet, Jake Lingeman is the author. And I've seen this actually before. Um, I'm a big fan of these, uh, like, I don't know, little gadgets and uh, electric anything. Uh, let me throw this into the chat real quick. So if you are in the chat, you can actually follow this link. It'll go through Ohmtown. All roads lead through Ohmtown. And it'll take you over to newsweek.com. So it says here, uh, in the early 1980s, hyper-efficient Hondas and Toyotas were out selling American cars by the handful. Gas was expensive and people were looking for inexpensive and efficient transportation. Honda came up with the tiny Motocompo scooter, which was only sold for two years. Motocompo's claim to fame was that it folded up to the size of a suitcase and could be paid for as an option on and stored in trunks of some subcompact Hondas of the era. So this is basically what it looked like. So everything old is new again. People are freaking out about gas prices. Well, the new Hondo, Hondo, <laughs> the new Honda Moto Compacto will be sold at Honda and Acura dealerships, as well as at the Moto Compacto website. Cost a thousand dollars. Far more expensive than the original, which was $332 as an option in the city Honda City hatchback. The zero emission scooter goes on sale in November. Seems pretty cool. I don't know. It says uh, the company was granted 32 patents. This is a pretty neat article. If you want to see more pictures of it, um, if you're listening to this via the podcast, I uh, see I can't even go on to any of the other pictures, but it's probably because of the way that hometown operates um, and not something specific to the site. Anyway, we need a better planet because we're kind of jacking this one up. So let's go on to the next article. This is the artificial wombs are coming. Yep. Everybody get nervous. U.S. regulators. Oh, well, the, the title of this is actually human trials of artificial wombs could start soon. Here's what you need to know. 
all of you who do not have a womb, you might be feeling a little nervous right now for equal consideration. Yeah. If someone turns to you and says, it's your turn. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to feel about it. Um, U.S. regulators will consider clinical trials of a system that mimics the womb, which could reduce deaths and disability for babies born extremely preterm. This is something that I actually have spoken about. Um, that there isn't anything, anything that technology, science can't short circuit in some way, right? Or facilitate. Um, this <laughs> artificial wombs, um, there have been experiments that have actually brought animals, uh, uh, grown animals in artificial wombs. And now we're considering doing it with humans. Um, seems really weird to me, uh, but it is science. It is technology. And, uh, we are, uh, uh, a species that adjusts and, and exploits our technology to better or worse, whatever you want to, whatever side of the fence you're on. Max Kozlov is the author of this article over at nature.com. Um, oh, tiny little hand. Sorry. Um, oh, and you know what? Prepare yourself because I'm going to scroll down here in a minute and uh, you might think it, it might feel your senses might be attacked um, because you're going to see an animal. I believe it's a sheep inside an artificial womb. This is the thing that I talk about. Um, the CHOP group. Um, artificial womb experiment in 2017 was carried out by researchers at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. When the team published its research in April of that year, it released a video of the experiments that spread wildly. Widely is what it says, but wildly. Um, because I've actually shown this to people um, and it's with mixed response. Some people are freaked out by it. Other people are like, well, here we are. Um, this is very Dune like very um, far forward, almost dystopian in nature, um, kind of black mirror ish where you don't need a human anymore uh, to make humans. Uh, if this technology actually reaches fruition and is sophisticated enough to carry a human. So, uh, without further ado, let me just scroll down. The CHOP group has made bold predictions about the technology potential. In another 2017 video describing the project, Alan Flake, a fetal surgeon at CHOP, who has been leading the effort, said, if it's successful as we think it can be, Ultimately, the majority of pregnancies that are predicted at risk for extreme prematurity would be delivered early onto our system rather than being delivered prematurely onto a ventilator. And there you go. Yeah, according to the public data, preterm lambs have survived for up to four weeks in an artificial womb. Um, yeah, so the article goes into more detail about, uh, preterm births and mortality. 
Um, and uh, frankly, like I, I say this to many people, we, we tend to use our science and technology to short circuit nature. Um, and there have been people who have said to me that this is actually doing us a, a disservice because um, it isn't survival of the fittest anymore. It's basically survival of the most technology advanced, uh, the most uh, fiscally capable <laughs> because it isn't everybody who benefits from this type of technology. It's only the well-off and connected. So it says here in a study of 2.5 million people in Sweden, for example, 78% of people born before 28 weeks of gestation had some sort of medical condition ranging from asthma to hypertension or asthma and hypertension to cerebral palsy and epilepsy. And by the time they were adults, so for full-time birth, that rate was 37%. So twice as much. Well, that's great and all, but... This is disparate treatment. I just don't see the whole world having access to this. Um, so, uh, and when I've had these conversations with people, it usually results, it kind of devolves down to, well, I shouldn't be sorry that I've got money or uh, capabilities because of our society, our culture, our this, that, or whatever. Um, but, I simply talk about this material. I don't, I don't have a dog in this hunt. Um, I, I find it all fascinating. Um, and the ethics and morals of this are bound by the person who, uh, need to, needs to take advantage of it. What happens beyond that? Well, I think society has to have a conversation about it. So that's what I'm doing. Um, let's keep on going. This will continue to <laughs> evolve. Yeah, we'll come and talk about this again as time goes on. So let's keep on rolling. Uh, this next article is the fear of being obsolete. It's in a, a, a channel called semiotic ontology, which is basically how things get meaning, acquire meaning. Um, and that, that kind of speaks to the idea of FOBO. What is FOBO and why is it suddenly on the rise among college educated workers? Well, uh, in the conversations that I have with people, I uh, ask them a question. And uh, one of the questions is uh, that I start out with is, where do you think technology can't go? Like the previous uh, article that we talked about, I don't think that there's much that technology can't penetrate. And uh, in that case, it's a synthetic womb. Um, and in other cases, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that it there technology can go everywhere. I think that there's one place it can't go. We can talk about it if you want. But in this, it aligns with another question that I ask, which is if I can put your work product and your processes into a series of steps, you're an equation, and I can build a robot that does your job reliably, um, efficiently, cost-effectively for your employer to resort to terminating you as an employee and putting a bot down. 
there's very, very few things. Typically it's a domain and a, a whole type of product um, that can't typically be done by a bot, um, but still can be if it's sophisticated enough. So again, if I can reduce your process down to ABC or one, two, three, or a combination of that, then I can just turn you into a bot and good luck. So that's what FOBO is. The fear of becoming obsolete or be, being obsolete. And uh, as says more specifically, workers fear that technology will make their jobs obsolete. But I don't think that that's the right phrase because the job isn't obsolete. The human is obsolete. So the poll that was taken had workers indicate if they were worried about or not worried about specific issues and the fear that technology could threaten their job saw the most statistically significant increase. Prior to 2017, this trend had very little movement, but it's seen more growth in the past two years than it has in the entire time since 2017. The concern can be directly linked to huge developments in AI in the form of chatbots like ChatGPT. Well, I think that it should be expanded because AI is actually much more sophisticated than chatbots. So that the link um, that I'm going to throw into chat goes through semiotic ontology, but it links to this site, which is um, analyzingtrends.com. And it asked the question, what is FOBO and why is it suddenly on the rise among college educated workers? Well, it's probably because college educated workers uh, dump a ton of money into their education. And then they, because of the way that academia works, you get kind of pigeonholed beyond, uh, beyond the initial two years, you start getting focused, 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 just more and more until you're a pin pushing through the bubble of knowledge until it pops and you discover something new and you get your PhD. Um, well, that hyper-focus means that if something were to happen to you uh, academically, if you're doing your PhD or professionally, if you're out in the workforce, um, where your job is, uh, I don't know, you're relieved of your duties. <laughs> um, you have to be completely retooled four years worth of academic pursuit, you know, to get to the master's level. It's about uh, after your two years as a, um, uh, associate's degree, then you do bachelor's degree, then you do master's degree. So if you get your associates, Beyond that, you start getting focused, focused, focused. Even your two-year degree is slightly focused. You pick a major, you start the process, kind of focusing you in on a topic. Well, becoming obsolete means that something could come and take your job. Usually it's technology um, or a business pivots in a different direction and you're out of your job. And if you cannot find another one of your job with your skills, you have to come back to academia and retool for an entirely new career. Um, and, uh, 
this is something that I talk to people about that, and they are these people that I end up talking about their careers and their future are absolutely scared because they don't know anymore. They've been working in some field for 10 years and now technology has taken it away. And it's a whole new world in the last 10 years. Now think they're going to have to go through school again, retool two years, maybe um, at least a year. And then they're back in the workplace, but they're starting all over again. Sure. They got a lot of wisdom, but that doesn't necessarily pay the bills and the technology that has evolved from when they went to school, got the job and are just doing it day to day. Um, has advanced beyond it's basically how we today look at our great grandparents and go, well, they have no idea how to work the VCR, right? We used to joke about that kind of thing. Well, now it's, they don't know how to use social media or they don't know how to use a computer or they don't even know the concept of cloud computing. Um, so that's what the fear of being obsolete or becoming obsolete is. And this link goes over to fast company and fast company goes into greater detail about this. And it's actually, um, back from nine 11. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting uh, that people are becoming obsolete typically around technology spooked by chat GPT because society still hasn't come to the conclusion that uh, artificial intelligence is just garbage. It's spewing BS smoke and mirrors right up your hiney. And a lot of people are scooping it all up and throwing it onto paper and printing it out, sending it into their professors or to their bosses. And then they're getting caught and then they're getting fired or they're losing their, <laughs> their bar. Um, they're being disbarred because they provided erroneous information and in legal filings or financial reports or all kinds of stuff. It's ridiculous. Nobody should be trusting anything with, from chat GPT. Um, who like you can use mid journey and other graphic programs, but something that is purported to be a uh, fact and evidence-based um it without a doubt is not and every single page at the bottom of chat gpt says eh, we make stuff up and it's all also time limited all of its data is stopped at 2021 so all your information that you're getting from it is old unless you're again connected then you can get some more cutting edge stuff um, let me pause that. So anyway, it says among college educated workers, both men and women express very similar levels of fear. Workers biggest fears when it comes to losing their jobs is the loss of benefits and reduction of their wages. And that's, what's going to happen. Um, particularly if bots take over the gig, um, because a bot doesn't, it just works day in, day out. And, and doesn't sit there and say, Hey, I need to go and get my kids. I need a smoke break. You know, I'm not feeling good today. I broke up with my significant other. Um, I'm mad at my boss. None of that. It's just a bot. And while it might be expensive on the initial uptake, it 
gets cheaper every single minute that it's operating and you're not because it doesn't have to worry about health. It doesn't have to worry about safety. It just does. Um, and even jobs where they, they say standing on an assembly line in warehouses, there are bots now that are capable of moving about the warehouse and picking up boxes and putting them neatly into uh, shipping containers. So even UPS, uh, FedEx, and the, the simple gig of just grabbing a box and moving it is going to be replaced by a, a bot that's just pretty nimble and doesn't worry about the weather and will work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So go and check these links out. I hope you dig them. We'll keep on going through the next uh, articles. Let's keep going. This next one here is... Um, <laughs> this is a segment that I call, or I should say an article that I, this little bit, uh, <laughs> this is my baggage folks. Evidence for my claim says the quiet part out loud. And that evidence is a millionaire CEO who called for high unemployment to remind workers who's in charge apologizes for deeply insensitive remarks after viral backlash. I started hearing about this um, and I was astonished. And this just entirely reinforces my claim that as you become more and more affluent, you become more and more sociopathic. You disconnect from the reality that you're a member of the same species and a part of society. And you start saying stuff because you are immune, immune to repercussions. But Mike Tyson said once, everybody has a plan till they're punched in the face. This guy got a, a viral punch to the face, but it doesn't really matter, right? This is what this person believes. They regret getting caught. They get regret the public finding out and that it wasn't just their tiny little cohort of like-minded uh anti-socials they they don't care about society and their place in it they want your money and you should just shut up a millionaire ceo apologized for calling a higher and calling for higher unemployment to remind workers who's in charge that's right folks you're not in charge they are tim garner said thursday his remarks calling for pain in the economy were deeply insensitive no, you're an asshole. He'd gotten backlash for saying workers have become arrogant and it's time to kill that attitude. That's right, folks. You're supposed to bend the knee and lick his boots and make sure that you are a compliant little cow. Moo, provide your milk, go back out to the field, be complacent. So the article is over at businessinsider.com. Sarah Jackson is the author. And uh, so, yeah, he'd gotten backlash for saying workers have become arrogant and it's time to kill that attitude. Yeah. So CEO of Australian real estate company, Gurner Group, said in a LinkedIn post on Thursday that he was wrong to say that. Yeah, out loud. He was wrong that he had to say it and that he said it out loud. And that's it. That's what he's worried about. The fact that people are pissed off at him. Um, so 
and then if you sit there and say, you know what, everybody, you should just bow out of doing any business with this dipshit and make it known that the people who are in charge are the people that are ultimately pay the money that are giving him the ability to be that sociopathic that he can go and say that other people who want money benefits be treated with respect need to just shut up right that's what he said y'all just need to you know go back to the to the mine and pound big rocks into little rocks so at the afr property summit this week I made remarks about unemployment and productivity in Australia that I deeply regret and were wrong. No, he's trying to mitigate. He's doing damage control. He continues, there are clearly important conversations to have in this environment of high inflation pricing pressures on housing and rentals due to the lack of supply and other cost of living issues. My comments were deeply insensitive to employees, tradies, and uh, families across Australia who are affected by these cost saving, or sorry, cost of living pressures and job losses. Also continues, I want to be clear. I do appreciate that when someone loses their job, it has a profound impact on them and their families. And I sincerely regret that my words did not convey empathy for those in that situation. Somebody is providing PR control for them. So you know, for me, I'm like, you know what? I think that everybody should just bow out of doing any business with this guy. You know, he wants to find out that he's not the one in control of his future. Other people should make sure that he becomes intimately aware of it. Stop doing business with him. But I'm sure that he'll find some legal way to try and shit on somebody that actually wants him to learn the very lesson that he's sitting there trying to promote because he already has his screw all of you. So I, <laughs> I'll just say that I'm in a mood. Let's keep going. There's more at that article for you to read. So go and check it out. Uh, this next article is a tech one. It's in the wanted channel. This one here is about the pixel tablet, which is, Actually, just a few spare parts in a half-empty body. Uh, I've seen the picture of this before I pulled the article out of Omtown. Um, it was aggregated from Ars Technica. Google and iFixit keep trucking along with their official parts store partnership. The latest device to get a parts selection is the Pixel Tablet, along with a whole bunch of repair guides and the usual lovingly detailed teardown photos, the Pixel Tablet did not draw uh, a whole lot of attention when it was introduced in uh, June. So this also counts as the Pixel Tablet teardown that uh, apparently is out there. So uh, I don't have many Android tablets, I do have one in a workroom right now uh, that I hardly ever use. Um, but the reason why I chose this is because first, it, this is really fascinating um, because of the size of the components getting smaller. And 15 years ago, I told someone um, who had asked me for investing advice. 
hey, what would you invest in if you had some money? And I said, well, uh, actually, it was probably longer than that. I'm starting to lose track of time. Uh, it's closer to 18 to 20 years ago now. Um, so I told them to invest in companies that are continuing the process of micronizing electronics. And he said, well, that's all been done. Apple has basically reduced the component size as far as it's going to go. Well, no, we're down to th three microns. Um, and that's not even talking about the stuff that's in between, you know, I mean, we're getting smaller and smaller. And back then, I think we were talking about 10 microns or 12 microns, something really loony compared to today's micronization. So Ron Amadeo over at uh, Ars Technica put this article together. The deck statement says, why is this $500 tablet full of so much empty space? Well, it's because you can't reduce a big screen. <laughs> I'm not saying this is a very large screen, but you can't make glass smaller. Y you can cut it, but then you don't have all of that real estate. So everything behind this. And if you look at some big screen TVs, the component is only like that big. The controller board is not much. Um, there's all kinds of reinforcement and whatnot on the big glass. Um, but the componentry is really small. And that's what this is all about. You know, a, a smaller pixel tablet is a pixel phone. Um, so they tear it down and they show you all of the componentry inside. You know, you got a battery, you got some controller space, you've got other interfaces for external um connectivity or memory um, and uh, these uh, little pressure connectors and whatnot but basically there's look at all this space I mean this is bigger than a New York apartment and um, it's all because all of these components are getting smaller and smaller and smaller this looks like an M.2 but I, I think it's the main board for this whole device then there's little breakouts with cables connecting to it. So I think this is pretty amazing stuff. Uh, and now I want to go back and look at various companies, including Apple and others, to see what their price was, you know, 18 years ago and see, because I know how much money that person wanted to invest. Um, I wonder if they would have followed my advice and actually found a few companies of that time, invested it just how big it would be so it says uh, it's hard to know the how tough a process uh, a repair is going to be since i fix it never gave the pixel tablet a repairability score it looks like breaking through the adhesive is a lot of the work with ifixit recommending an anti-clamp screen pulling tool a hair dryer ifixit's eye opener heat pad a suction cup and a pick they're emptying the whole tool toolbox to get this thing open and that's because they're trying, manufacturers are trying to get away from screws and, and whatnot um, because it, it adds a little bit of bulk um, and it becomes a stress point where those things can flex enough. They make creaking sounds. They are, they penetrate into the electronics, not the electronics themselves, but the space that the electronics are in. They become an issue for weathering, like water um, might seep in there and cause a problem, humidity and whatnot. Um, you want to keep it away from a battery. 
um, particularly things like salt water, because that will actually short it out. Um, this water does in general, but uh, salt water has a problem with lithium uh, batteries apparently. Um, but if everything is hermetically sealed, then it's a little bit more impervious to the elements and it doesn't flex as much. It's one big mass. So that's why they get, get rid of all of the screws and they just glue everything together. So they kind of walk you through some of this stuff. Uh, but the reason why I even said anything was because this is just one little component right here. And then all of this grayish white off white color is all empty space. Uh, it's an amazing amount of empty space. They could probably make it even more efficient if they get more up to date components that reduce the size even more so, but you still can't reduce the size of things like a USB-C connector or, um, uh, uh, micro disc, um, and whatever else is on this thing. I'm not even sure what all is in here. Everything else is getting smaller, you know, storage controllers are getting smaller. Storage is getting smaller. Um, I saw a two terabyte, like uh, micro M.2 drive. I mean, I can't even remember what the number is for it. It was really small, maybe like the size of a postage stamp. Um, and it was two terabytes pretty spectacular technology is still coming anyway let's keep on going um our next article is about aliens so this next article is over on hometown daily nasa says that ufos are probably balloons planes or solar glints but not aliens no they're not aliens um now i don't know what is actually going on um I know that there's this hokum hoax one that uh, came out of, I think it's Mexico recently um, where the aliens look like they're ET and supposedly there's x-rays and whatnot that show evidence and blah, blah, blah. But no, that had already been debunked back in 2021 or something like that. Um, and so I, I think that that's just garbage, but um, <laughs> okay. Balloons, don't go, you know, Mach one, um, planes do, but they don't stop on a dime and shoot up vertically and they don't dip down into the water without there being wreckage and solar glints aren't being tracked by fighter jets. So not sure what's going on here. NASA said it can't explain what UAP are, but it doesn't think that they're from off planet. NASA says the sightings can be explained by earthly phenomena like planes, balloons, weather. The announcement can't, comes after a year-long investigation into how NASA can better study UFOs. They say, yes, UAP are real and a threat to national security, but they're not from out of this world. That's right. It's your neighbor. And I don't have the little device from Men in Black, but I want to flash it so that you just forget everything. And I can say that it was some swamp gas that ignited. Um, the article's over at Business Insider, though. And Moya Focht and uh, Morgan McFall Johnson um, are the authors of this article that's titled NASA says UFOs are probably balloons, planes or solar glints, but not aliens. Not aliens, folks. 
Yeah, I don't know what they are either. I would love to see an alien um, or a UFO, at least, you know, not necessarily an alien because I don't want to get probed. Um, so uh, the panel compiled its findings into a report, which NASA released on Thursday. You can go and check it out if you follow the link through hometown over to this article. It has the, the actual report linked, which is at science.nasa.gov slash UAP. Um, so it says normal explanations for the paranormal. Uh, it says weather balloons could be mistaken for a UAP. Sure. Tracked at high speed by fighter jets or hundreds of them swarming around a battle group off of the coast. Sure. That's exactly what it is. Why would the government sit there and disclose this stuff? and harm the perception that we are in control of our airspace around a battle group. It seems kind of absurd. Um, but Hey, why not? Um, all of the speakers emphasize that in order to figure out what UAP are, NASA needs to collect more data and to do so with a specific scientific plan. The people who are actually speaking out against this whole thing and that it's aliens or not aliens and, um, that it's all, Basically, there's a lot of, there's a large cohort out there that saying that it's, uh, it's a grab for more money. Um, and sure enough, you know, NASA says, Hey, to do this research, we need more money. Well, it's because time is money and people are money. And to do research that is outside the scope of your original intent, you need more money and people Ta-da. So there you go, folks. More money should go to NASA. I would rather give it to, well, I'll leave that for another discussion. Let's keep going. The next article, it's over in Smack Talk. Apple Watch Glucose Tracker gets Silicon, uh, Apple Silicon Executive as a uh, project lead. I titled this segment, The New Apple Watch is Sweet. Um, I want it. Um, hopefully I can get it. Um, I haven't updated my watch in a considerable amount of time. Um, I also have uh, not upgraded my iPhone for a considerable amount of time. So I think it's time to upgrade now that it's switched to USB-C. has a glucose monitor on the Apple Watch um, and other things. And I'm really into telemetry. Like I want to get an EEG um, headset so that I can... Uh, track when my brain actually does activate. Uh, I know it's rare and I want to catch it just so I can show it to people and say, no, 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 I, I'm actually a thinking human being. I'm just stuck in hometown, which is kind of like the matrix, but not as cool, I guess. I don't know. Apple's vice president of platform architecture in charge of developing Apple Silicon, Tim uh, Millet or yeah, I think it's Millet, uh, has been assigned to head the uh, Apple Watch Glucose Tracker project. So Apple Watch offers essential health tracking like glucose monitoring um, and uh, heart rate. Um, and with other gadgets around you, you can also track other things in your watch. But uh, glucose tracking has been kind of a... Uh, a, a unicorn type of project uh, because it's pretty typical that to track it, you need to 
give a little bit of blood to the sensor gods. Wesley Hilliard um, over at appleinsider.com um, put this article together. I used to use a sensor where you put it on the back of your arm um, and uh, it was quite fascinating. You know, I, I, I loved um, knowing what's going on. Um, ultimately, I didn't really need it, but um, I, I like telemetry. I like data. And so I have a thing. One second, let me grab it. We'll do it live. So I have a sensor that allows me to track um, like an EKG, um, either one or I think it's six leads and um, really fascinating bit of kit you can check your heart with your watch as well well pulse um, and track it pretty much real time and now you can also do glucose uh, I think that's all pretty amazing um, there's also a blood pressure uh, version that you can get uh, it's a, a watch that you can get um, and I have one of those too so it's a, it's a lot of fun getting all of this data to figure out. Uh, some people need it for their health to, to track and other people are just curious about it. So um, the team is referred to internally as the exploratory design group, which works on moonshot projects at Apple. The previous team led by scientist Bill Athos um, was, uh, well, Bill Athos died at the end of 2022. The report says that Apple has been developing blood glucose technology since 2011. The technology would use a range of sensors to determine glucose levels with lasers and machine learning algorithms. So I guess we'll see uh, ultimately what happens with this project. Uh, I, I think it's an, an important endeavor, um, particularly if it's not invasive. Uh, but everyone that I have seen so far has required some type of poke um, because you have to get to the actual where the glucose monitor needs to um, check is the blood itself, um, not normally on the surface or anything like that. Although some dogs have been trained um, to detect a, a blood spike, uh, a blood glucose spike and alert the person that um, they might have to take action. So, and I can't have a dog on my arm. Let's keep going. Um, the next article is over in prime glass. Uh, I titled this one. Let's find replacements for Adobe. There are quite a few. Um, maybe I can make a list. Um, I've actually uninstalled Adobe, um, on the systems where I had licensing. Um, and I've moved to other things like, uh, GIMP for graphics and, um, uh, audacity and a few other things. Um, DaVinci resolve I've moved to basically I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting rid of Adobe. Uh, they charge, uh, a lot of money each month. Not everybody is using it constantly. If you find yourself making more money using uh, Adobe products than um, just kind of letting it idle. I, I typically don't use it for much. So um, I will pay, you know, the the fee for something like DaVinci or Audacity um, or GIMP 
to support it and uh, move on. But uh, I, I think I'm done with Adobe. But the title of this article, it's over in Prime Glass. Um, I love taking photos. Uh, that's why I created Prime Glass. Um, but man, Adobe is just kind of nickel and diming me to death. Adobe plans to make you pay for Photoshop's AI features, even if you have a subscription and it's because they can. Um, it's almost the D&D and Unity of graphic uh, <laughs> software as a service providers, I, I guess. I don't know what to call this. Photoshop's generative fill is possibly the single most talked about addition in the history of the program. Uh, this AI-powered feature allows users to add elements to photograph uh, to a photograph not present in the original capture. Many creators love the feature, but that may be about to change due to a recently announced change in Adobe's pricing structure. Yeah, so I actually have a really old version of Creative Suite still on CD in its original shipping case. Um, uh, sitting right there and um, I should go get it but nah I'll just tease y'all with it I should probably give it away to somebody because they don't support it anymore anyway the article is over at F stoppers uh, John Ricard uh, is the author of this article and uh, goes into greater detail about it but the feature initially debuted in a beta version of photoshop a few months ago but is now part of the standard version of photoshop desktop um, i used to use the beta versions because i'm interested in like well beta software cutting edge versions that have uh, technological evolutions that um, i want to be aware of but frankly yeah, everybody is raising their prices and i'm just sick of it um, yes, I understand that people need to make a living and, and software needs to be developed, but yeah, every year, $500 plus goes to just Adobe. If you are a, a, a subscriber and you're not, um, a, a teacher or a student, um, you're paying full boat. And it's really expensive unless you find it of value. And I just stopped finding it of value. Um, so, I mean, it's a really neat feature, but uh, I, I think um, what they're going to end up doing, and we're going to end up talking about just this next article is going to be talking about something similar. They're changing the game, right? You're not, you're no longer paying for the service to continue to evolve, you're paying for the service to find a way to nickel and dime a little bit more money out of you. According to Adobe's website, generative fill, gener generative expand, text to image, and generative recolor will require one credit, along with the standard plans to subject uh, that are subject to change caveat. The site also confusingly states usage rates may vary. So instead of charging you actual cash, they charge you credits, which blur the line of your understanding of what the actual cost is. So users who license all Creative Cloud apps will have 1,000 free credits each month, while single app users will have 500 credits per month. Credits will not roll over from month to month, so you pay for it, but you don't actually get to keep it. Additional credits will be available for $5 per month for 100 credits. 
and Adobe says that the tool will still work after exhausting credits, but that the tool will run slower. How slow remains to be seen, according to the article. Um, there's more over here at this article, so I would suggest uh, following this link and uh, reading more, but the basics of the article is what we just talked about. So let's go on to what might be um, the, the D&D pivot of uh, game development. So this next article, it says, ironically, the segment is ironically named Unity. Um, it's in the hometown daily channel over on hometown.com. The title of the article is Unity Unites the Indie Game Industry Against Its New Pricing Model, which retroactively apparently changes the pricing structure for those who are developing using Unity. So right out of the gate, I say, well, I guess Unity is about to get sued into the ground. Um, so Unity Unites the Indie Game Industry Against Its New Pricing Model. This is over at The Verge. Uh, Ash Parrish is the author. And in a nutshell, depending on how much money you make, you have to pay a fee to Unity. This is pretty standard practice. But now they're saying that for every install of the Unity engine, which is... Um, just a portion of it that gets included with the software that is developed using Unity, the developer will now have to pay 20 cents every time it gets installed and run. Um, and so this can be, in, it's going to be an ongoing burden by software developers. So a bunch of software developers are already speaking out against it. And I think that Unity is just a dumbass. Um, they're pulling basically uh, a D&D. &D. They're changing the very nature of the agreement. Um, but uh, like I said um, earlier today um, in another chat, this is all greed. Um, it's all about making money. Um, when you've already saturated the market, right? You're you're up against a wall. You're not getting a lot of new developers that are making you know millions of dollars and thus having to pay you uh, you know thousands upon thousands every year or month or whatever. Um, no, you're you're now looking at the bottom line, going, well, I want to uh, I want to make my stock higher. Um, I want my bottom line to be bigger so that I get a bonus and the executive suite gets more money and the stockholders make more money. That's not what this is about. Um, or I should say that's what this is about. Um, and it's not about <laughs> at the same time, because what it's really about is at least from my perspective is they didn't do this at the beginning of their existence. They did it with this new pricing structure, they did it after there is a massive install base. And they're saying that this is retroactively being enforced. This is going to be retroactively enforced, which means all of the installs are gonna start activating on this new price point. 
Um, and somehow Unity knows when something launches from my computer. Um, and now I understand how the internet works. Believe me, I understand how the internet works. I understand that it can send out a beacon, a little ping that says this software ran. Um, but man, fire up your firewalls and start blocking ports that send it off to Unity or when you run the game, watch your just shut down your firewall, run the game and look to see where it's sending telemetry and then block the hell out of it. Because there is no way that I want in particular unity at this point, knowing when I run a damn game. Um, and I don't want to sit there and have developers get dinged again and again every time I install, uninstall a game. Um, because that's what apparently are the claims that it's 20 cents per launch, like the initial launch. When it fires up, it sends telemetry and says ding or cha-ching 20 cents. Um, and is an ongoing thing. It, it, this isn't, this is in perpetuity historically and in the future. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this and we'll watch what goes on. Um, but uh, Unity basically just wet the bed. And uh, I think every developer, just like this, the the other things, the, the quiet part was said out loud and the greed is showing. And uh, I was watching somebody else's stream where they said, well, the job of the CEO is to make the company more profitable. Well, yeah, but you don't have to be Satan in the same time. You know, you... you <laughs> You don't have to sit there and burn the building down to collect the insurance. You, you, you make a robust business um, and you don't piss off your entire customer base of developers and the customers by basically burdening the customer with the responsibility that every time they install a game and run it, it's going to cost the developer 20 cents, even though they got paid once. You know, we're not, I don't want to go into a subscription model with every damn game I own too, because now they have to keep paying every time I uninstall and reinstall the game or I install it on a different computer. Um, this is all batshit crazy. And I think unity has lost their mind. Um, and again, just to verify that this isn't a, this is over at theverge.com. Ash Parrish is the author. Um, and they talk about it a bit, but it's a, it basically says what I said. And uh, yeah, there's already been some wing nuts that have been doing like threats and all of that kind of stuff. You know what? Pull your heads out of your butt and your collective butts and don't sit there and attack the company. Talk about it, make it known and then congeal around the idea that don't buy anything that has unity in it. How, you have to get the developers on board to switch to something else. Unity needs to be humbled just like the millionaire that says that <laughs> everyone around him needs to be humbled. But it's we, the customers, the consumers, the people who are paying for products and services we're the ones that everybody should be worried about keeping not some developer 
like this, not Unity, sitting there going, well, you should be happy to have us. And you should be praising that we are dinging you again and again and again. No, that's not how it should be. You should provide a service and it benefits people. It solves a problem and you get compensated for it. But you shouldn't be, you know, running up to my house and taking money out of my pocket constantly. Make a better product, sell me on that product, and I'll buy that product. Should be pretty simple, you know, but this is the equivalent of, you know, living at home with your parents and not contributing anything. You just kind of keep on tapping, you know, their goodwill. I'm still going to end up having to pay you guys when I hit 200,000 in revenue. Not, it's just revenue. It's not my, my net at the end of the day, you know, everything paid off. It's all revenue. So I don't know there. It just seems like everybody is getting way too greedy, <laughs> way too greedy. Okay. Last article for the day. Um, we're right on time. Uh, this article, uh, I have this segment titled Van Gogh sounds like an Ikea shelf. Um, but, uh, a stolen Van Gogh masterpiece was just returned by an anonymous tipster in an Ikea bag. A masked individual broke into the Singer Laren, um, a museum in the Netherlands in March, 2020 and made off with the now returned Van Gogh. Yep. It's really that simple. There's more to this, I'm sure. Um, the artwork's return was orchestrated by an anonymous tipster who provided key information to Dutch art crimes detective Arthur Brand, um, who had been investigating the theft. The handoff took place at Brand's residence. So apparently the tipster showed up with, or somebody showed up with an Ikea bag and said, oh yeah, here it is. Um, I found it on a shelf in Ikea. Oh, it's a lot smaller than I thought. Uh, Arthur Brand Art Detective. This person looks like um, a movie star. Oh, who is it? I'm trying to remember their name. Maybe I'll come up with it later. But anyway, um, right there is the picture. I thought it would be bigger, but apparently um, it's pretty small and fits in an, uh, in a um, an Ikea bag. Once restored, the Parsonage Garden at Noonan in Spring, which was only part of a temporary exhibit at the museum at the time it was stolen, will make its way back to the original home of the Groninger Museum in the Netherlands once it is restored. Man, I hope it wasn't messed up in any way. So, pretty amazing. And what the, what a title. Arthur Brand Art Detective. A different Arthur Brand, I guess. Okay, well, that's it, folks. We are all set. Let me throw this article into the chat as well. We're all done with our 10. And uh, I'll bring us all the way back to the front page. Hit refresh. Um, and in the hour of our show, you know, we got a whole lot of um, new articles here. 
Um, streamlining development. Researcher finds GitHub admin credentials of car company thanks to misconfiguration. That's pretty typical. Um, let's see. Cash versus, versus stocks. Donald Glover's Lando now being developed as a film. So that'll probably be pretty good. Um, let's see. Spider-Man's new goblin form will be a nightmare for his villains. It's a nightmare for me. Blackmagic launches free professional filming camera app for iPhone. It probably won't. Well, I don't know. Huh, I'm really curious if the, the, uh, the app can manipulate that raw footage. Blackmagic has a particular type of feel to it right out of the box. Um, uh, because of the way that it's structured, you can manipulate everything with too fine detail. It's pretty amazing. I love the Blackmagic cameras. Um, I don't have any, not anymore. Um, but anyway, let's see. There's a whole bunch of articles. Disney pushes back on ABC sales report. Says company has made no decision yet. This is an article that has, or a topic that has been popping up in today's news uh, pretty frequently, um, along with a bunch of other political news. Um, but we won't get into it. I saw briefly a little article down there titled with something about idiocracy. And frankly, I think it's a document. Oh yeah, fact check. Everyone in idiocracy wears Crocs because they were horrible and cheap. Uh, no, I think it's because everybody forgot how to tie a shoe. So I think that's what that was the purpose. But um, I also think that Idiocracy was a documentary of the future. Somehow it made it into the past. Okay, well, that's it, folks. That's it for today. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. The AI is on vacation. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. 9 p.m. Eastern. Be there. Bring a friend. Come and hang out. Talk about the news. A crossroads of business, technology, and society. And with a little bit of snark in there every once in a while. See you tomorrow, folks. Bye-bye.